If you got a Bible, you can open it up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Uh, so if you're new around here, we're in a series where we're studying through the book of Acts. And we made it through chapter 1. We're now in chapter 2. Uh, and in chapter 2, we have a little series within our overall Acts series entitled The Church That Jesus Came to Plant. And what we're doing in this particular series is just pulling out truths of the church that Jesus actually did plant in Acts chapter 2 so that we can see how we can then operate as the church that Jesus came to plant. If anyone asks us, what's your vision around here? Uh, we don't talk about vision a lot. We talk about values, but our vision is just simply to be the church that Jesus came to plant. He did a really, really good job. Uh, and so we want to learn uh, in there. And so last week we learned the first truth, and that is this, that the church that Jesus came to plant is empowered by the Holy Spirit. In fact, unless Jesus is the head and the Spirit is the power, it might look like a church, act like a church, and talk like a church, but it isn't a church unless Jesus is in charge and the Holy Spirit is the power. And today, then, what we're going to do is we're going to continue on, and we're going to look and see what happened after the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. And in looking at what happened, we're going to see two different things. First, uh, we're going to see how was it that uh, 120 uneducated Galileans were used to turn the world upside down. We will see that. And then secondly, uh, we will begin to explore uh, what has become since the Reformation, the most contentious doctrinal divide in the church. And so that's it. That's all we're trying to do this morning, all right, is to tackle those two things. And so uh, glad you're here. Thanks for journeying along with us. Let's work our way through the text this morning and see what God would speak to us as we do. We're in verse chapter, or we're in chapter two. I'll start in verse four. It says this, and they, this is the 120 who are in the upper room, were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, last week I talked through what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, and I think I did somewhat of an incomplete job because I got asked for, by a couple of people, um, do Christians always have the Holy Spirit? And the answer to that question is yes, Christians uh, have the Holy Spirit. In fact, let me just say it this way. You can't become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you why. <laughs> because you're evil. Uh, you're bad, and the Holy Spirit is what helps turn your bad heart into a good one, all right, through the gospel. Uh, and so every believer has the Holy Spirit, uh, and every believer has the Holy Spirit with him or her, uh, and then we begin to bear the fruits of the Holy Spirit. This filling of the Holy Spirit is a phrase often used throughout the book of Acts. In fact, it's used throughout the book of Acts to describe people who were there on uh, the day of Pentecost, and then later it says, and they were filled with the Spirit, and they were filled with the Spirit, seeming to indicate this like repeated um, experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so what we were talking about last week were these moments when the Holy Spirit like fills us in a fresh way uh, that leads to purity, a fresh way that leads to power, uh, maybe an equipping for a specific moment or a specific season or a specific task, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the church was filled with the Holy Spirit on this particular day. Now, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, something happened on that day, very unique. And here's what it is. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so here we are introduced into what has become one of the most contentious doctrinal points in the church since the Reformation. And, and it is speaking in tongues or the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to dive into those a, a little bit today as well. But the first thing we see here is this. How did movement begin in the church that Jesus came to plant. Movement began first, it tells us in verse number five. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every 
condemnation under heaven. This is just God being very strategic. It's the day of Pentecost, and, and Pentecost had been celebrated for about 1,500 years prior to this particular moment. And, and so there were Jews from everywhere because they celebrated Pentecost. Uh, and so God, who had promised that through the gospel, the whole world would be blessed, decides to plant his church on a day when there are already people from all around the world. Very intelligent. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, now what sound are they talking about? Well, it could be the sound of the mighty rushing wind that was the Holy Spirit falling um, just a few moments before. It also could have been the sound of the 120 who were now filled with that Holy Spirit and were speaking in languages, tongues, that they had never learned. Regardless of which sound it is, what we see here is our first principle of the morning. And that it is, and that is, it is the sound of the Spirit that is supposed to produce movement in the church that Jesus came to plant. Now I say it is the sound of the Spirit that is supposed to draw people in, not the methods of man. And so in order to be the church that Jesus came to plant, we have to respond to and operate under the sounds of the Spirit, not our own man-made methods. Now, in this particular case, we're seeing something very clearly supernatural. The 120 are speaking in languages that they do not know. Here in Acts chapter 2, the, the very clear um, usage of tongues that is occurring are, are not an utterance of um, um, something that would be uh, unknown by anybody. They're very clearly speaking in, in, in languages that they were never taught. Uh, you, you keep looking down in the text and it says this. Um, bewildered. Uh, I'm in verse six real quick, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, right? Uh, later on, we get to verse eight. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Uh, you go down a little bit further. It says, we hear them telling in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. There are actually 11 different dialects, right? And people are hearing them in their own dialect. This is a supernatural move of God that is drawing people in. The church that Jesus came to plant, people are drawn in by the sound of the Spirit. This means for us as a church, it is imperative that whenever we um, begin to see growth, that whenever there's advancement, that it is always being advanced. The church is always growing and being advanced by the sounds of the Spirit, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit has worked in very uh, varied ways throughout history. The, the Holy Spirit moved here through these 120 speaking in languages that they had never learned. The Holy Spirit moves through many ways throughout the book of Acts. In fact, this phrase signs and wonders is used all throughout the book of Acts. Uh, later on, we're going to see the Holy Spirit move in, in uh letters to the churches in, in ways different than that. Uh, in our own day, we have seen how the Holy Spirit moves in ways that we could have never envisioned um, hundreds of years ago. A lot of you um, grew up or remember the, the Billy Graham era. I mean, what did they do? They, they went into uh, new towns, they did advertising, and they rented out massive studio or massive stadiums. And guess what? The Holy Spirit moved. 
Some of you have been around through some of the revivals uh, that have occurred over the last 30, 40, 50 years. And in each of those, the Holy Spirit moves in supernaturally in different ways. The overarching principle is that it is the sound of the Spirit that should draw people in. Now, one of the things we can take away from this as a church family is to make sure that we never either elevate our own man-made ideas on how church should grow or the kingdom should advance, right? When you hear me say church grow, I need you to hear in your mind salvations, uh, kingdom advancing, right? That, that it never be about our ideas or that we never just duplicate what we see working somewhere else because we think, oh, if that's what everyone's doing, we should do. This one's probably more relevant in our modern day. There's a lot of good ideas out there right now on how churches can grow, how the kingdom can expand. And they can be very good ideas and they can be utilized in such ways that they help places uh, grow. They help the kingdom to go out. Uh, and, and, and they're probably very good or they are very good uh, when the Holy Spirit leads somebody into that. There's a couple of the modern ones that we could probably employ from a strategic or an operational perspective that we have chosen not to, uh, not because I don't think they would result in growth, simply because the Holy Spirit hasn't called us to. And we don't want to operate in our man-made ideas, but in the ideas of the Spirit. Let me give you... Cool. Um, let me give you a couple examples. Um, some of you asked me about Saturday night service. Like, I love Saturday night service. Can we do Saturday night service? Saturday night service would be great. Let me tell you about Saturday night service. If we did a Saturday night service, I think we'd grow by about 50% in about three to six months. I really do. We'd grow about 50%. If the goal was just to grow, we would do a Saturday night service. But our goal is not just to grow. Our goal is to grow through the sounds of the Spirit, right? And, and God hasn't called us to a Saturday service. And so, listen, can he change our minds? Absolutely he can. And if we ever do a Saturday service, I'll tell you, our staff and our elders will all be in full agreement. And we'll just say, you know what? We didn't see this coming. But God called us to a Saturday service. I can tell you right now, I have zero interest in doing a Saturday service. Okay? <laughs> so we have a long way to go. Like a really long way to go. Um, and a lot of that is simply because our, our families, our staff, our volunteers have a great rhythm right now. And it's healthy. And, and so, you know what? Those Saturday night goers, like there's other churches. Go, go there. And, uh, and, and God can bless that, right? Let me give you another one. Multi-site. Um, I ran into somebody the other day and, and they were like, okay, tell me about your church. And this person speaks church, okay? Uh, and so we were chatting through it and they're like, okay, so where's your building? And we're like, oh, it's out on, uh, you know, Salisbury Road, out in Monclova. And they said, oh, okay, so just one campus right now. And I don't know if that was like a dig or what, but uh, so they like, one campus right now. And I said, oh, no. Oh, no, one campus forever. And, and they said, well, what do you mean? And I said, oh, God has not called us to do that. He's not called us to do that. Could we grow? Sure. Do we have the expertise to do it? Probably. Are we going to do it? Again, I'm at 0% right now. Um, and, and so is the rest of our team. And, and so if he wants to bring us there, good. Has the Holy Spirit moved through Saturday nights? And has the Holy Spirit moved through multi-site? Yes. Do you know that it was multi-site ministry that actually first grabbed my heart to join, to go into full-time ministry? Okay. So has God moved through? He moved in my life through it. And so, yes, certainly the Holy Spirit can move through that. But as a church, we always have to go, whoa, this is not about what is man doing right now. This is how is the Holy Spirit leading. Okay. 
Let me give you one more example. Um, there are lots of, lots of opportunities out there. There's lots of things that we could say yes to, lots of things we could do, and all of this kind of stuff. And what do we always have to do? Everything, we always have to just submit to the Holy Spirit, uh, even from a ministry perspective and everything, and just say, are you calling us to this? Is the whole church in, is this something that it, from a unified front we all feel like is the right thing? And so I just want you guys to know, whenever you hear us saying like, hey, we think God is calling us to this, it's not like, hey, Stephen woke up one day and had a brilliant an idea, okay? Most of the time what happens is I turn over to Lindsay and she goes, nope, okay? Right? Um, and so if that comes out, then what it is, is it's probably weeks or months or, or even years, right, of God chipping away at, at, at our elder team um, and their spouses, uh, our staff team, and, and, and we all get to the same place and go, yeah, yeah, this makes sense right now, Okay? The Spirit, in the church that Jesus came to plant, the Spirit, the sound of the Spirit draws people in, okay? All right, um, and so that's the, the kind of the first principle that we see happening in here. Now, how? When he draws people in, what does he do then? Well, uh, here's what happens next. We're in verse, uh, I'm going to pick it up in verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished. So the they is the thousands of Jews, non-Jesus believing Jews at the moment. I will call them skeptics. They're the thousands of Jews that are in the temple court. And uh, imagine that like there's a, you know, big like courtyard. There's thousands of people down there. They're kind of partying, right? And then uh, surrounding that, there's like some upper rooms that you could like rent out. That's probably where the 120, the disciples and the, the rest of the Jesus followers are. And imagine the perspective of the thousands down in the temple courts. They look up and they see that room up there and they're like, oh, who's got that room? Oh, that's the 120. Have you heard about those 120? Like get this. First off, they actually think that Jesus was the Messiah, even though we all saw him get crucified. And then get this, then they claimed that he rose from the dead. So a couple of us went up there and we were like, hey, Jesus, or hey, I heard Jesus rose from the dead. And they're like, yeah, he absolutely did. Oh yeah, where is he? Well, he floated up into heaven. Okay, that makes sense. Really easy to say that the guy rose from the grave if later you say, well, then he ascended into heaven. So you can't see him right now. That's what's going on. And so the, the thousands are down there and up in the top, there's the 120 that everybody looks at and goes, those are a bunch of uneducated Galileans that nobody respects and that are believing something crazy. And in the midst of the party, there's a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And uh, when the sound hits and then the, the languages start pouring out, all of the thousands on the bottom go, what was that? What was that? And it begins to draw them in. The sound of the Spirit. And when it draws them in, they start going, okay, well, hold on, what's going on here? And how is it that these uneducated Galilean morons are speaking in languages that we understand? Are you hearing them in Mede? I am. Are you hearing them in Mesopotamian? Are you hearing them in Judea? Are you hearing them in 11 different dialects? What is going on? In fact, Here's how you often know it's a move of the Spirit. The skeptics look in and go, what is going on? How is this happening? And it was happening. And so they were, they were gathered around. And, and so we know, we know that God, he draws people in, right? But then when he draws them in, what does he do? He uses spirit-filled people in supernatural ways. 
the uneducated Galileans, you, you, and me. He uses spirit-filled people in supernatural ways to then be about the work of his kingdom going. He wants the sound of the spirit to draw him in, and then he wants to use you and me when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, operating in the giftings that he's given us to then point people back to Jesus. This is how the church that Jesus came to plant is supposed to operate. And so the 120, they're all up there. Uh, and it kind of seems like they're all speaking at once, right? And they're, they're just speaking, they're speaking, they're speaking. And the thousands below are going, oh my goodness, I hear them. And it says they're talking about the mighty works of God. Because I would imagine if all of a sudden you could speak in a language that you never knew, one of the things you would start to talk about is God and how amazing he was. And all the great and incredible things that he had done. And we don't exactly know how long this goes, but it's happening. And the crowd is just growing and growing and growing and growing. And it continues to grow. And everyone's wondering what is going on. And it says uh, that everybody was amazed and perplexed. Both like, wow and huh at the same time. But in the wows and the haws, there were two groups that began to form. One group said, what does this mean? In other words, like, is there something that I'm supposed to learn in this? Which reminds us that two, uh, that, 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 that two people can see the same move of God and draw very different conclusions. Okay? And so the first group goes, well, what does this mean? And the other group goes, I think they're drunk. I think they're drunk. So you see a move of God and some people go, hold on, should I be a part of that? And other people go, those guys are crazy. Those guys are crazy. And then what happens is Peter stands up and what Peter does is he does what we always need to do when there are supernatural moves of God. We go to the scripture. And so Peter stands up in front of the, the group and he goes, hold on guys, no one's drunk. It's 10 o'clock, goodness, right? He says, let me tell you, from your own book, Jewish people, from your own book, and so he starts quoting Joel, the prophet Joel from the Old Testament. He says, from your own book, let me tell you that everything that is going on right now, God said it was going to happen. What's he doing? Peter's teaching us a principle that when there are supernatural moves of God, when you see, as Paul later would refer to them, as manifestations of the Holy Spirit, that what you're supposed to do now is take those manifestations or those supernatural acts of God, and you're supposed to go in and say, does this make sense according to the word of God? Is there something I can point to in the scriptures that will help me understand this? That's the first step. And so Paul stands up and he says, none of this should surprise or shock anybody. God said it was going to happen. And he said it was going to happen exactly like this. And God said that it was going to continue to happen. And that's exactly what happened. It's a teaching moment for all of us. If we see God move, if we see the Holy Spirit operating in your life or even corporately as a church to make sure we go back and say, hold on, can I explain this in the scriptures? These are our boundaries, right? They help us understand what is from man and what is from God. What is okay and what is too far. We go back here. Now, this is what happens on this particular day of Pentecost. And over the years then, and when I'll say years, I mean in the, in the next immediate years, 10, 20, 30 years, uh, the Holy Spirit continues to operate. Uh, there's other moments that are almost like quasi-Pentecost. Uh, 
day of Pentecost type of moments, right? Where one time Peter's like, man, it happened to them exactly like it had happened to us. He's like, almost like it was a repeat of Pentecost. Uh, and there's other things that begin to happen in the growth of the church. And then a couple years later, about 30 years later or so, Paul is writing a letter to the church at Corinth. And Paul goes, hey guys, I know we all remember Pentecost. I know we remember when the Holy Spirit fell. And it was amazing, wasn't it? And for the last 30 years or so, like God has been building his church here in Corinth. And, uh, and, the, man, and the Holy Spirit has been showing up. And he's been showing up in very powerful ways. Uh, but Paul says, I want to just pause for a moment. I want to give you guys some instruction on uh, how the Holy Spirit should operate in your midst. What does it look like? Now, in this then, by the way, is where we have begun to see, not begun, where we have seen um, for really since the Reformation, the most divisive doctrinal thing in the scriptures. What has practically probably divided um, uh, uh, post-Reformation the church more than anything else? And what it does is it revolves around what is this, this power, this filling, these giftings, these supernatural acts of the Holy Spirit? What do they mean? And how should I operate in them? And how should the church operate in them? Now, Paul gives us great instruction in 1 Corinthians on what this is supposed to look like. Let me just point out a couple of things. Uh, in one particular moment, Paul says, I know many of you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit. And some of you might be like, what is a manifestation of the Spirit? Like, if you heard me say manifestation of the Spirit, you'd be like, that sounds new agey and weird. Okay? No, there was a phrase used in the Scriptures manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, I know you're eager for them. And he doesn't say that's a bad thing. In fact, it seems like he's saying it's a good thing to have manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And then what Paul does is he gets into a conversation around the supernatural thing that started the whole thing 30 years ago, speaking in tongues. Paul's like, okay, we've talked about tongues. You remember tongues? Like God used speaking in tongues, all right, in that moment at the day of Pentecost to like birth this church, and it was incredible. You remember that, guys? Okay, now let me tell you what we've learned over the last 25 or 30 years or so. And then Paul starts to kind of lay out some guidelines. And uh, by the way, sometime during this, um, through some of the other writings, uh, there was like the idea of speaking in tongues by the filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that was for the sole purpose of evangelism, right, and, and drawing people in and speaking in, in languages that they did not learn. But this other um, idea of tongues, uh, rightfully so in the scriptures, begins to emerge. And it's not proclaiming uh, the mighty works of God uh, in, a, in a known language. It's like a personal prayer language. And this begins uh, then to be discussed. In fact, in reference to this, Paul says these words. He says, just so everyone's clear, I speak in tongues more than any of you. Kind of a weird statement for Paul to make. But he says, he lays out, he says, I just, you know, I speak in tongues more than any of you. Now, let me pause for a second. I want to go two places before I pick up our story. The first place is this. When I got up here to pray at the end of the song, and I started praying for things and asking God to move. Don't, don't you want a faith that believes in a supernatural God that still moves? Don't you want to be able to pray, God, I know this looks impossible, but anything is possible with you. Don't you want to believe in a God who loves you enough and knows you enough personally that he can begin to work things out in and for you that are so beyond your normal human ability? I know I do. 
And for people who struggle with the supernatural, I do want to remind you, you adhere to a faith that is built around a guy raising from the dead. Pretty supernatural. Don't you want a faith like that? And I know some of you, you're like, I I know, but what about the abuses? Oh, they make me very nervous. They do. That's why we have to remember what Peter did first. What did Peter do first when he saw the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in that moment? What did he do first? He goes, okay, hold on. Let me explain this to you biblically. Can I explain this biblically? Are there things right now that are happening under the name of the gifting of the Holy Spirit that I don't think can be explained biblically? Yes. I think we have seen that. I think we have seen that in the church. I think we have seen that in certain movements across um, our country in particular that I look at and I go, I I can't explain some of that stuff biblically. And if you can't explain it biblically, it's not from God. Peter showed us this right in Acts chapter 2. He said, hold on, guys. He didn't get up there and say, doesn't this feel great? Don't you feel alive right now? Aren't you caught up in the emotion of this moment? No, he said, let me tell you why the scriptures, the scriptures say this is okay. So that's what we always have to go back to. What do the scriptures say? Can these things be explained? So going back then uh, into our story, Paul then, he's explaining and he's explaining how uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit have been on the move, right? Oh, there was a second thing I wanted to do. Okay, here's the second thing. What we're talking about right now uh, is a doctrinal discussion, and I know this is more of like a teaching moment than a preaching moment, but uh, is a doctrinal discussion around two words, cessationism and continuationism. And, and let me tell you about these two forms, okay? Uh, cessationism um, basically teaches that the, these gifts of the Spirit stopped in the, in the age of the apostles, the original apostles uh, back in the scriptures. If I took 10 of the most famous, well-respected Christian authors and teachers right now, okay, the ones who still have good doctrine, even after the last three years, right? If I took them and I lined all 10 of them up right here in front of all of us, and I said to them, um, hey, how many of you believe in, uh, in, in, in cessationism? You know what would happen? About half of them would step forward. And some of you would go, huh, I didn't know that, but I love that guy's teaching, right? And then uh, other five uh, put us from over here and say, how many of you still believe in these giftings of the Holy Spirit? And the other five would, would step up, and some of them over there would go, wow, I thought he got a little excited, right? But man, I love his teaching, right? And, uh, and so this is what has happened, right, over the last uh, 500 or so years since the Reformation, that this idea right here, this cessationism idea, this continuationism idea, and what it has done is just absolutely splintered the church. And this is what I will say, in my opinion, the most spiritually immature among us, what they have done is they have elevated their thought on either side as the most important thing, as the most important thing. And so what they've done is they've said, well, if you don't agree with me on this one, then I got to go elsewhere. And uh, we are a, a post-denominational church. You say, what does that mean? We made it up. So it can mean what we want it to mean, okay? <laughs> and so let me tell you what it means. It means that we have taken, and some of you are like, oh, you can't make up words. Do you realize that every denomination is a made-up word? Okay. All right. Silly. All right. Now, so what happens? 
the, the, where was I? I got caught up in my own mind. What was I even talking? What am I talking about right now? Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Wow. That hasn't happened since the last time I talked to my wife. Okay. All right. That was a joke. That was a joke. I am very focused. Okay. All right. Cheap jokes. Okay. Post-denominational. Here's what it means. Okay. We have picked seven or eight. There's seven or eight statements, but they're really like 40 to 50 doctrines. And we have picked all of them. Okay. And we have written these down. And here's why we pick them. Because if you line up those same 10 people and say, hey, who agrees with this? You know what all 10 of them are going to do? They're all going to step forward. And then all we've simply said is, hey, why don't we unify around those statements as opposed to the one that splits everybody up? And that's what we've decided to do. Now, I know in our particular context that, um, that, that what begins to emerge or, or uh, what is going to happen is eventually in this one in particular, certain things are going to happen and it's going to make people go, well, I don't know, right? So I, I want to just try to explain some things biblically from, from my perspective for a second. Uh, and there's, by the way, there's this um, biblical author that, uh, and speaker, writer, teacher, preacher uh, that I really enjoy. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones, okay? Uh, he was uh, a preacher at Westminster Chapel in the 50s. Now, I don't know if I can think of anything that is more like high church traditional conservatism than Westminster Chapel in the 50s, Okay? And uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's really highly respected by a lot of the guys on this side of the equation, okay, the, the five who, who would have stepped up during cessationism, right, uh, who, who think th- these things end, he's highly respected by them, right? And so I started reading him and listening to him, and he's one of my favorite biblical teachers. And then I opened up his book on revival. And I started reading his books on revival and his, uh, his, his books and his readings and his writings on, uh, on the Holy Spirit, And and it's almost like you see this guy who doesn't fit in the box. He doesn't fit in the box of just pure doctrine. And he doesn't fit in the the box of just pure experience. I thought, man, what an interesting thing. And you begin to to see him begin to explain um, um, both like the absolute essential need for core doctrine, to not budge on it for a second to do what Peter did, to always line up everything and make sure it can be explained through the scriptures. But then you see a guy who basically brings up how can we expect moves of God to happen apart from the Holy Spirit? How can we expect to, uh, how, how can we expect to see uh, uh, revival? How can we expect to see conversions in mass? How can we expect to see apart from the Holy Spirit when we look at the scriptures and when those things happened, they were always because of the Holy Spirit. So there's this beautiful, what I think, perspective on how you hold firmly to core doctrine and still believe in the move of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul then in his writing, uh, he, he says, okay, uh, he says, guys, uh, when, 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 when the gifts of the Spirit are in operation in the context of the church, now he's writing this in 1 Corinthians, um, he says a couple really interesting things. One thing he says is this. He says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But he says, man, in the gathering of the church, He said, I would rather speak in five clear words than a thousand tongues for the sake of my brother and sister in Christ and the sake of the lost. So he says, that gift in the gathering of the church, 
I don't need to use it. He's like, no big deal. No big deal. He goes, man, I just want to make sure that people know what's happening so that they can respond to Jesus. And he lays that out. And now the same guy who says that also then a couple of verses later, you know what he says? He says, but never forbid the speaking in tongues. And you're like, dang, Paul, which one is it? <laughs> like the whole chapter, you're like, I don't understand. Would it? Would it be possible that we have seen so much division in the church over this issue that it might just be more appropriate to say we don't fully understand? And instead say, anything that happens will do with Paul's heart to surrender our own rights, and we will also do making sure that it always aligns with Scripture. And saying, we can rest there. I will surrender any right for the sake of unity in this church. I will surrender, right? And I hope you will too. And by the way, if, uh, if you're falling into that camp and you're like, but I want to see the Holy Spirit move. I want to see the Holy Spirit. I want to see the Holy Spirit move. Can I tell you something? If you can't see the Holy Spirit moving in our church, you are blind. And the funny thing is you're the one who thinks you see it the best. Oh, he's moving. He's moving. I hear it in the stories. I see it in people's lives. We feel it on a Sunday morning when we're praying like we just did. And you say, I want to see more. I want to see, I want to see more. I want to see more. Cool. Pray. Pray. Walk this room. Walk these hallways. Walk this land. Pray. Because I'll tell you what, there is no one, no one in our church or on our team that wants to quench the Holy Spirit. No one. And if God wants to show up, how will we know it's him? Because when he does, everyone in the room will know it and be on the same page because the Spirit moves in unity, not division. And so if it happens... If something happened, if, if whatever, if, when, how, why, I don't know. It's not like I believe anything differently than I did five and a half years ago. So some of you think this is like this like great crazy moment in our church. And maybe it is because we're talking about it and we're being open about it. But, um, uh, but there's certain things that we have felt or known doctrinally for the same. But for the sake of unity and for the sake of the greater good that God is doing, right, we've just been walking this out for five and a half years. But, but let me tell you something. A couple months ago. We had a worship night, and this is what happens on worship nights. Everything's going on, and we actually started pro, kind of, oh, let me explain. Okay, so we get to the, the end of the, the, the service, and there's an order of service always, and, 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 and one week, um, I looked in, and it said SPM, and I was like, what is SPM? And they were like, Stephen's Pentecostal moments. I was like, oh, okay. And, 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 and we kind of were joking about it. And, but, but what it was is there's always a moment in worship nights where I just come up here and I just stand right here. And some of you might be thinking like, I wonder what he's thinking about right now. Let me tell you what I'm thinking about. Nothing. Okay. Like there's like not much going on in here other than like Jesus is awesome and this is great and oh my goodness. And then there's the other part of me that's going like, oh crap, what am I supposed to say next? 
right? Like, what am I supposed to say? What, 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 what am I going to do? And so then, the, then they end, and then Lindsay gives me the glare of, like, get up here, right? And so I just start walking going, I have no idea what I'm supposed to say right now. This is going to be awkward. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. And then I look, and you're all staring at me. <laughs> and it was a couple months ago, I think, you know, probably in the fall. And I just started praying. And I got done, and I walked off, and I was like, what was that? And then Jason met me in the back. He goes, do you know what that was? And I said, I hope you do, because I don't. No, I kind of did, but I walked off, and I was like, I, I've never felt um, compelled by the Spirit of God in a moment like that to pray as I had. It wasn't in tongues. If you're looking for something, it would probably be more like the gift of prophecy, right? Like, I, I'd never like, felt or compelled or prayed like that, okay? I've been doing this for 15 years, right? And I'm telling you this story simply to say this, that in, 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 in unity and in the freedom of Christ, I want all of us to simply say, God, whatever your spirit truly and uniquely has for me, I want it. I want it. And then I also want all of us to say this. And God, whatever you want me to surrender for the sake of unity in your church, I will do that too. And I will trust, Holy Spirit, that if I operate with that heart and mindset, that you will always have happen what you want to have happen. And I don't know, guys, maybe, just maybe, if we operate with that, we can walk in a spirit of unity that I've never seen. And we can walk with a, a mutual heart and mind commitment to good doctrine. And also saying, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, everything you've got, we want. We want it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in one of his final sermons on revival, he's issuing a warning, and he, he's kind of talking, and he's, you know, he's, he's got this, like, Welsh accent, and he's going through it, and, uh, and he's drawing out on all these, like, fine doctrinal points. And then he says, a, a word of warning. He says, the church often, the church often brings up the verse, um, uh, talks about order in the church when it comes to the Holy Spirit, and order in the church, 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 and how important it is. And he said, as I look out as the church today and its great need for revival, I do not believe what we should be concerned most about is order in the church, but releasing the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here's our prayer. It's a bold one, I think, that to be the church that Jesus came to plant, we could walk both of these out. And the prayers that we have been praying for a year now for revival, and that we're not just praying. I hear about this all over the country, almost like there's one Holy Spirit all over. And as we continue to pray these, and we continue to seek this, that everything would be done in unity and love, and God would grow his church just like he did back then. Let's pray.
Oh, I'm not done. (laughs) One last thing. After Peter explains everything biblically, what does he do next? He preaches the gospel. Not a single conversion happens because of the supernatural stuff. The conversion happens when the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed. Okay? Man, I'm really glad I remembered that. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, So here's what we're going to do Friday, and here's what we're going to do Sunday. I'm going to preach the gospel that Peter preached on that opening day. We're going to see on Friday his life and his death, and we're going to see on Sunday God raised him from the grave. All right. Now let's pray. Father, with the greatest humility we can muster, please help us in this. We cannot do it alone. And from the depths of our hearts, please send revival to a nation in need that has lost its way, to a world that is hurting, to people who once held on to the faith but have abandoned it, to the prodigals who have lost their way, and to the power of the church that you came to plant here and spread across this nation. Move. Move. And use your spirit-filled people however you would desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.